Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season seven, episode five. We're coming to you today from, well, some of us anyway, from the new national office in Reynoldsburg, Ohio, home of the domesticated, first domesticated tomato. How do you domesticate a tomato? Are they normally wild, Terry? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> we do have a pizza place in, in Harrisburg called Wild Tomato. So maybe okay, well, they didn't go to Reynoldsburg to get their tomatoes. Now we know. Yeah. So uh, I'm Terry, uh, church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, Director of Development in Eastern PA District of the Alliance. And with us also, but muted because it's party central in the national office today, is Isaac Charles, our producer and administrative uh, specialist for me and church ministries. So, Alan, today we're uh, interviewing uh, Ash and Heather Holloman from uh, our State College Alliance Church in your district. How do you get connected with these folks, Alan? Through their pastor. I'm good friends with Aaron Henning, the lead pastor at State College Alliance Church. And we were just chatting about, really about evangelism becoming more normal in our churches, uh, something that he and I are partnering on actually right now in our district. Uh, And uh, he mentioned to me that he has this great couple in his church, the Hollemans, who have written a book called Sent. Uh, which we're going to talk to them about today. And uh, as I, he connected me to them, I started interacting with them and I was like, these are people we want on the Equipping You podcast. So here we are. Yes, indeed. So uh, they're a little bit confused. He's an introvert. She's an extrovert. (laughs) Uh, They live in State College where the Penn State Nittany Lions play. We are and stage. Yeah, you were a little slow on that, Alan. Yeah, well, sorry. But they're University of North Carolina Tar Heels fans. I didn't even know that was legal. Hey, at least and, it's a different uh, conference. State college, at least. At <laughs> least. But uh, they work with crew on the campus of uh, Penn State. So we're looking forward to uh, interviewing them. So grab yourself an Appalachian Craft Cola. And just that word Appalachian, Alan, reminds me to ask you, have you ever led hikes on the Appalachian Trail? Uh, Well, I have led it on the Appalachian Trail, as we call it in Pennsylvania. I think it's called Appalachian further south from here. The Appalachian Uh, people say Appalachian. But we're not in Appalachia here in (laughs) Pennsylvania. So... uh, Anyhow, yes, I have been on the trail. I have spent a night on the trail, uh, sitting under a, sitting under an evergreen tree with uh, two high school students and a youth leader. Yes, I have done that. Thank you for bringing that up, Terry. I so appreciate it. We've made the front page of the Harrisburg uh, Patriot News on that one, and so Alan is famous. So grab yourself an Appalachian craft cola. Sit back, relax. Here we go. No 
And we're pleased to welcome to Equipping You Podcast, Ashley and Heather Holloman. Ashley and Heather, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. We're so excited to join you. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having us. We believe it is too. So uh, start, if you would, by giving us a little bit of a snapshot of your journey of coming to know Christ and your calling into uh, ministry. Well, I I was someone who prayed to receive Christ as a young girl and was baptized when I was 12 years old, but really didn't have any discipleship or strong growth in the Lord and was really seeking God in college, but kept kind of not being able to figure out how to mature in my Christian faith. And when I got to University of Michigan, there was a graduate student ministry with what was Campus Crusade for Christ, now it's crew. And that really um, helped me deeply surrender to the Lord and gain some um, evangelism training for the first time. And I began to see God use me powerfully in the lives of other people. And it just set me on the course for ministry for the rest of my life. Great. Love it. How about you, Ashley? Yeah, my story is really similar. I grew up in the church, placed my faith in Christ in middle school, but really didn't understand my need for God um, until much later in, in most of my last year in college. And at that point, I was like, God, you know, I'm, kind of, I'm a chemist. I run the experiment. I stink at running my own life. Um, I know you're supposed to run it and I'm supposed to surrender. I have no idea what that looks like, but I want to do that. And that really changed everything. And then two years later, um, I went to graduate school at University of Michigan and like Heather got involved with this campus crusade for Christ uh, community for grad students. And it changed everything else about my life, you know, the role of the Holy spirit, the heart for the great commission and others following Jesus. And then we saw, Several of our best friends in grad school placed their faith in Christ and got to be a part of that. I was like, wow, this is really cool. People get to do this for their life. I, I think I want to do something like this. And mm-hmm. so God began to call us towards ministering uh, to graduate students and professors. And we've been doing that since early 2000s. Great. Well, and you're actually the national director of graduate student ministry, right? For Crew? Right, right. So in, um, Crew's been around for a long time, but the graduate yeah. piece has not. And so in 2015, um, there were some things happening like at Penn State and at Michigan and other places. They said, well, why don't we put some emphasis and effort towards seeing if we can launch in other places? And so they asked me to give direction to that. And, and now we're on, um, it's been great to see what God is, is doing. We've got a staff of about 20. We're on 30 different campuses and God just continues to really bless and grow and make sure I don't screw things up. I think that's probably the, the lead thing. I'm familiar with that feeling. (laughs) One of the things we love to hear from our guests is uh, who's been influential in their life and leadership. It's, it always seems that that makes a great connection and our listeners love to hear about it too. So who's been influential for you guys? Well, I've been blessed with really great mentors. Um, I love connecting with older women who are years ahead of me. So right now it's my neighbor, Sandy Mackin has really influenced my life. And then back at Michigan, Diane Roper uh, discipled me. But I'm a big reader. I don't know if your listeners love to read. I really, I really love Charles Spurgeon, A.W. Tozer. My favorite devotional writer is Hannah Whittle Smith. And I wow. read those every single morning as I read God's word. I love reading what Charles Spurgeon and Tozer have said about the passage that I'm reading. So those older people who have, have influenced me. So those are kind of my big heroes. They are beyond old. <laughs> <laughs> they are, yes. So yeah, and for me, um, the church I grew up in uh, as a child and, and through college was really instrumental in shaping my life. And then Chuck Roper, uh, the Campus Crusade staff member that led the grad ministry, uh, 
he was really instrumental in helping me just gain a heart for walking with Jesus. And, you know, they say evangelism, discipleship is more caught than taught. He helped me catch it. Um, and then another, um, that the group we were a part of was actually a, a, a partnership between the navigators and Campus Crusade. And so the nav staff guy, Bob Adgate, was really instrumental. And then most recently, um, Rick Ho, who I has been a dear friend and uh, who I report to on staff approves, he's he, he does a lot of great things well. But the best thing he does is he always puts Jesus at the forefront of all that we're doing. And so what does that look like as a man of God, as a husband, as a father, as a minister of the gospel? What does it mean that Jesus is not just the, the path to something greater? He is the something greater. And so he's given me a deep love for Jesus and I'll always be grateful for him for that. Love it. Love that. Love, love, that. Cool. love that nobody you name except A.W. Tozer and, and Spurgeon. Nobody's famous. <laughs> nope. uh, they're just people, you know, serving Jesus and seeking to influence other people. And Amen. we, really, we really all need to do that and all can do that mm-hmm. in, in the power that the Holy Spirit gives us. Yes. Yeah. So your pastor and our good friend, uh, Aaron Henning, uh, put Alan on to your book called Sent, Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus. And uh, so that's really the reason, the connection we had to put you on the podcast here. So glad that you were willing to join us. Not your first book that you've written. So how did God lead you to write this book? Well, I had been writing books um, with Moody Publisher. They're my publisher in Chicago. I love Moody Publishers. And I had been writing books on my favorite overlooked verbs in scripture. And I was going to write another one. You know, I just always have kind of a book I'm writing. But this time... My acquisitions editor called me, and this is what she said. She said, Heather, you come alive whenever you talk about evangelism. She said, would you write a book for us about why you live your life this way? What happened to you? But then something really funny happened. And I'll let Ash tell this part. So I'm on the phone with Moody, and they say, you need to write this book. And then Ash said... Well, be careful what you joke about, but um, that's the lesson I learned from all this is... I said, you know, Heather, all the books I've read about evangelism are written by like extroverts and those who have the gift of evangelism. How about a book for the rest of us? And, you know, what if someone wrote that with you? You need to find someone like that to do that. And she goes, why don't you do it? I was like, like, love it. You know, and and it was really just a joke. And then she pitched that to Moody and I'm like, we love that idea. Yes. And so I was like, okay, if this is going to work, two things. Number one, our marriage comes before the book. And number two, you've got to leave this, not me. Give me writing assignments. I'm not the professional He's writer. He's not a writer. Right. Um, and it worked. And it was, it was a fun thing to, to do together. Well, the reason why they were interested in Ashley's perspective is he is an introvert who claims he doesn't have any kind of extra supernatural gift of evangelism, but he deeply cares and believes that all people are called to the work of living a sent life. And at the mm-hmm. time of that phone call, he had just led our 85-year-old neighbor to the Lord and was oh, discipling him love it. every Friday. So um, they really loved having that perspective of an introverted, quiet, reserved guy who, who would not say he has any special gifting in this area. Wow. That is great. So encouraged by that. And you're right. That's exactly the kind of book we need because most, <laughs> I've read so many books about evangelism by extroverts and you're just sitting there and I'm fairly extrovert myself, but you're like, yeah, but what if I share this with my people at my church, they're going to be like, yeah, right. That works for them. That doesn't work for me. <laughs> so I, I did appreciate your book and loved how you devoted attention to that specifically. Uh, specifically. 
Um, so, so tell us then, what is a scent life? Well, a scent life is when you embrace your identity as a scent one, that it's not something you're doing out of guilt or duty or shame. It's just a natural overflow of who you are in Christ. And that's kind of what makes the book more unique in terms of other evangelism books you would read, because I was reading the book of John and I thought, you know, the number one way Jesus describes the father in the book of John is the father who sent me. So Jesus himself kind of had this as his identity, like I am sent by the father. So in John 20, 21, when he says, as the father has sent me, so I send you, I circled that and I was like, okay, I am missing something here in evangelism. And then I love um, when Jesus calls the first disciples, he says, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And I thought, okay, this is inevitable. This is what's happening why are we seeing evangelism as this like extra thing only reserved for some people? So living a scent life is embracing your identity. Um, it's part of who you are in Christ and it's an inevitable, you will inevitably bear fruit as you abide in Christ in these ways. Love it. Love it. And of so, course, it's another great verb in the new Testament. Exactly. So I love scent. <laughs> yeah. A lot of my retreats are that you're seated from Ephesians two and now sent. Nice. Seated and sent. Seated and sent. That's the love that. I'll be using that sometime for sure. There you go. Make sure to give her credit, Alan. (laughs) I will do that. (laughs) Sounds like it ought to be normal for uh, followers of Christ, yet it isn't always. So, what would you say keeps God's people from living a sent life? Well, first of all, for me, it was a misunderstanding of identity. I I thought, I think a lot of people think evangelism is reserved for people who have just like this special gift of evangelism. That's, that's all. But you see, you know, Paul saying to Timothy, you know, do the work of an evangelist. You see Jesus, you know, seeking and saving the lost. That is what he's still doing. So I think it's that it's misunderstanding, but also just the basic training of how easy it is to engage people in spiritual conversations. And um, the book is really about helping people understand the role of prayer, the role of asking good questions, how to share your best tool in evangelism, which is your personal story of transformation. So I don't know, would you add anything as the introvert, as the, as the one who... Well, yeah, I think it may be too, um, again, that this can be caught, not just taught. And it may be that other, they just those who haven't engaged in the scent life yet just don't see others doing it themselves. Uh, and so they're not exposed to it. Um, they haven't given it a shot. Um, they aren't surrounding themselves or seeking others who are living living out a life of evangelism and discipleship or a sin life. And so um, it could be that uh, they just haven't, sometimes you just have to start and jump in and, and surround yourself with those who are, and it may be that they haven't done that yet. Yeah. Yep. I love how you hit that, that it's really the overflow of our identity uh, and knowing Jesus. Absolutely love that. Thank you for phrasing it that way. Um so in the book, you identify the core principles of a scent life. Uh, what are they? And would you unpack them for us? Yes. And this gets me so excited because a lot of people in my life want to know, like, how do I have a joyful uh, connection with Jesus? And how do I, why do you feel like life is such a supernatural adventure and joyful every day? Kind of like, what's the secret? And what I realized is people live their life according to core principles and Everyone has them. It's what it's what motivates them when they wake up in the morning. And the three core principles of ascent life that if you embrace them, it really makes life 
really exciting and it makes you feel close to God every day. So the first principle is that God is always at work to draw people to himself. That is what is happening. That is what God is doing. And we know that he set eternity on the hearts of men. We know that Jesus is seeking and saving the lost. The second principle is that for whatever reason, God chooses to use people to lead others to Jesus. And I remember exactly where I was learning this. I thought this is you know, this is crazy. I thought, I remember, you know, I was eating my Wendy's French fries at University of Michigan, reading Acts 1-8 for the first time, that I'm going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on me to be a witness. And I circled that because I was like, witness, I guess it could have said anything that we receive power and maybe we'll be better worshipers or we'll serve, but it <laughs> said that we're going to receive power to be a witness. And I wow. was looking at Second Corinthians about, you know, being an ambassador and I just couldn't believe it. You know, God, is this really what you're doing? Is this who I am? And then the third principle is that God continually invites us into the work of evangelism. And the Great Commission, Matthew 28, every time I heard a sermon on that, it was always about guilt. And and the pastor would say, if only you love Jesus more, you would do this. Or, you know, this sense of like, this weight on me, like, oh, I'm not a good Christian. But then when I realized the core principles, okay, God's at work. Even if you don't perceive him, he is at work right now in the lives of people around you. The second principle, he's he, for whatever reason, is choosing to use you and he's inviting you into this work. It became about identity and joy and a sense of anticipation. So those three core principles really shape the whole day. When you leave the house, well, you know, think about the people in your life and and imagine that these three principles are operating at all times. So that really forms the foundation of the scent identity. Love it. So, Love it. Yeah, I do too. I, I wrote them down. I'm going to reread them and ponder them a little bit. And I think all of our listeners uh, should do that. Next question is kind of aimed at you, Ash, since you're the one that says you're introverted and you don't have the gift of evangelism. I think a lot of people would say that, maybe especially the second one. So what encouragement would you give people that have those objections to really getting engaged in anything that looks like evangelism? Yeah, yeah. As you said, first of all, I can I tell them, hey, I can identify. I get that. I understand yeah. where you're coming from, mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be okay. Um, and then the second thing I would say would be, you know, regarding the gifts of evangelism, there are skills and practices that we can all learn and it, we can remove some of the mysticism away from it. You know, some of the, the shadowy, like how does this actually go? So you can, you can learn how to enter into people's lives. You can learn how to listen and ask good questions. You can learn how to share your own story. You can learn and practice how to share the gospel. And there are just some, some pieces to this that can be practiced and learned and developed. That certainly those with the gift of evangelism might, it might come easier to them but it's not exclusive just, just to them. And then regarding introversion, um, I try to remind myself, I, I don't have to talk to every person in the room. I don't have to talk to every person I run into. Heather's like, how many people can I run into? How many people in the room can I talk to? You know, if we're using a dancing analogy, her dance card is a lot longer. You know, than it's my, full. my dance card is full. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! And my dance card might be full too. It's just it's a lot less. You know, numbers. one person. Like, yeah. yeah, one. Okay, it's full. And so, <laughs> you know, just just so going into a party or a social situation, you know, sit down and talk to a person. It doesn't have to be you know the whole the, everyone there. And another thing I, I try to remind myself of is living a simple life is typically 
typically involves ongoing spiritual conversations, not just the one conversation where everything has to be said, or if you say it wrong, that person's never going to come to faith in Christ. Mm. You know, so just, you can take the pressure off the perfect conversation that you have to have, because even if you screw it up, you know what, fix it the next conversation and be human and be real. Take, take, take the pressure off. And then the last thing that this might be a little humorous, there are a lot of introverts out there who don't know Jesus. And Amen. we as introverts might be not as overwhelming and better suited than some of our extroverted brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we actually might be a gift in our introversion to uh, be able to talk to others um, about Christ. And the last thing I'll just say about this um, is um, really believe that living a sent life is a get to, not just a have to. And mm. introverts and those who don't have to have the gift of evangelism, we get to get in the game. We get to play too. We're not discounted from that. And um, you know, it's wow. an incredible opportunity to trust the Lord in our weakness. It's an incredible opportunity to step out of our comfort zone. And our personalities, our gift mixes, they're real, but they're not ultimate. And they don't have to define us. And they don't have to limit up, limit what we can or can't do with, with Christ because he walks with us. He goes with us. He never forsakes us. And so it's just an incredible opportunity to walk by faith and see God work in the midst of however he shaped you, whether as an extrovert or an introvert with the gift or not the gift. Excellent. Love Ooh, it. I love that. That analogy is so good and especially meaningful to Terry and I, since we both played high school basketball, but watched it more than actually played it. Uh, we had a I can, close I can, seat. I concluded this about my basketball career. I figured out how to sum it up in one sentence. I had great seats. Yes. Front yes. <laughs> row, baby. But we don't want that in the church. I love that because we want yeah. everybody to know they can be in the game. It's not just yeah. for the star extroverted people who can communicate Jesus. Yeah. Thank you for that analogy. So I'm so serious. It's a little funny in this story, but it's so true. It is. People feel like that's just not my game, you know, and it isn't, it's everybody's game. Oh, that's so good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I so love much. the introverts reaching introverts idea too. That's yes, for really sure. Yeah. I feel like sometimes I'm actually annoying to introverts and my extrovertedness. And I say frequently that it takes all kinds of people and all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. Uh, so thanks. That's love really it. good. Good encouragement. So COVID has become a household word, sadly. Uh, and I've had many people to me, both people in the pew and pastors say that oh, I can't really share Jesus right now because things have just changed socially. And certainly it has changed about how we go about sharing Jesus. But can you help us seriously help us? What have you learned about trying to share Jesus uh, and navigating ministry during COVID? Well, I would say, you know, like on the negative side, COVID has taken away or disrupted the, the natural pathways, you know, that we've, you know, the, that we've all had to be with others, work, school, little league. So it, it has done that. You know, it, it has removed some of those just natural opportunities to be with others. But on the positive side, what COVID has done, it, it's given us common experiences or shared experiences and common ground through which we can talk about Jesus. And so, for example, I think all of us to some degree have probably dealt with fear and have dealt with isolation. For the believers, I hope we're taking those to Jesus and seeing him minister to us in the midst of it. And so as it's, it's 
But so are our neighbors. They're dealing with the same thing, fear and isolation. And so we can enter into their world and say, mm. what's that like for you? What's it mm. been like for you to be afraid? What's it been like for you to be so isolated? And then just really listen. And then, you know, I, we can also say, you know, I too have been afraid. I too have dealt with isolation. Could I share with you how God has met me in the midst of that? And as I do, they're like, tell me more. And it opens up opportunities for the gospel. So I think there's, in some ways, it's made it harder because it's removed some of the natural pathways. In other ways, it's given us a common experience and common ground to talk about Jesus. Mm, um, that's good. Yeah. And then maybe one more thing that I've learned is just to differentiate between social distancing and physical distancing. Um, yes, we need to be safe. Um, we've had to be safe physically, but now more than ever is the time to move towards people. We just mm. need to find creative ways, safer ways to do that. But don't withdraw from people and emotionally, socially, spiritually, just because you're withdrawing them in some ways physically. So that's that's been something we've been trying to, to work through is how do we actually creatively move towards others when we can't maybe be with them within six feet side by side. So Heather, in the book, uh, you say that you wish more uh, followers of Christ would develop the personality trait or character trait of curiosity. How does that help with evangelism? Well, I do believe that. I teach professional development at Penn State, and I just told my honor students yesterday that the number one professional skill they can develop is interpersonal curiosity, being curious about other people. Now, in evangelism, the reason why that matters is we do a lot of training with a lot of people. And we found that if you're not genuinely interested in other people, it's really hard to start conversations, not even spiritual conversations, any conversation. <laughs> so that chapter on curiosity really comes out of the research at George Mason by a lead researcher, Todd Cashin. He talks about the benefits of being an interpersonally curious person. It's going to be better for your mental health, your marriages. You're going to have more joy. And how do you develop it? You move into people's lives and you begin to ask genuine questions about that, that you're in, almost like you're a researcher where you're like, I want to know you. I want to know what interests you. I want to know, you know, how are you taking care of yourself during COVID or tell me, tell me what good news you're celebrating. So really living a scent life is about engaging with people, but you have to start with really caring about them. And it's not just the social psychology. Obviously, I'm an academic. I love research. But biblically, Philippians 2, Paul talks about taking an interest in other people, valuing them above yourself. That's the chapter where Paul talks about, you know, taking on the nature of a servant. But a lot of people forget the part above that beautiful passage where he says, you know, consider the interests of other people, value them above yourselves. And I really thought, how do you teach people how to do that? So I train my students, you know, what do you want to know about other people? And imagine that they're going to teach you something that mm -hmm. it's sort of like in chemistry. You'll love this sort of like cattle. Something's going to be catalyzed. Did I use that right? Yeah. You're going to learn. Yeah. You're going to learn from people. It's so exciting to share your life with people yeah. and to think they're going to teach you something. There's going to be something beautiful that happens in that conversation. And so helping people become curious is one of the best Things you can teach your children, you can teach people in your life, and then it really often will lead naturally to a gospel conversation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You put the shoe on the other foot in conversations, and probably we've all been in, in conversations where 
we're asking the people questions about them. They're telling us all about themselves. But you walk away from the conversation 20 minutes later and say, they didn't ask me one thing about me. That's right. That's right. And it's yeah. a little bit off-putting, I suppose. So, you know, if we're going to be mm-hmm. winsome sent ones, curiosity and questions is are very important. Yeah, that's good. I love that. I think that was one of my favorite sections of the whole book. I love coaching. And I think curiosity is just so helpful to communicate love and to help people discover a little bit more about themselves. They may not even realize it's fun. It's fun. I love it. That's right. There's actually a ton of people researching curiosity right now. In fact, Hmm. when Ash and I really were leading classes on our book sent, we found that there was a missing link there. People really wanted more training and basic conversations. So the next book coming out in the fall from Moody is called the six conversations Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. And the whole book is about curiosity and asking better questions. So I will make sure I send you guys a copy. Great. I would love that. Conversation training. Yeah. We we had a previous guest, uh, Barnabas Piper, on our podcast, and he wrote a book about uh, the curious Christian. And I I read that. We didn't talk to him about that. We talked about his... uh, his pastor's kid book, which was interesting. Uh, But his book on curiosity was enlightening. And I look forward to yours too. That'll be fun. Thank you. Will be. Very much so. Absolutely. So you guys refer to your home as a gospel outpost. (laughs) I think that name kind of gives something away, but what do you guys mean by that? Well, I don't know what, what Ash would add to this, but just being a place of refuge and refreshment and being a home that people know they can come. You know, we do a soup night where people can come and have soup if they want on a Monday night. We recently enjoyed a mistake from Amazon. I ordered two boxes of KN95 and uh, Amazon sent me two cases instead. It was like the loaves and fishes. We had 1,500 KN95 masks. Wow. And we contacted Amazon and said, okay, what do we do? How do we ship these back? Because they didn't charge us for them. And they said, you know, why don't you distribute these? You you can have them for free. So just being able to call all the neighbors and have them come over and um, distribute something that they needed made me feel like our house was like a gospel outpost. But it's just a home where people feel safe and refreshed and You can even join with others who care about living a scent life and you can have times of prayer and uh, talking to them about the people in your life that you're ministering to. But Ash actually thought of that phrase and it was really important to him to think of our home that way. I think it's Acts 17 where Paul speaks to the Athenians and he he talks about, you know, he talks to the folks in the marketplace and he ends that speech saying that basically, and I'm paraphrasing majorly here, that God has established the places where we live and work and play. Yeah. And he's done that for a reason that others may come to know Christ, that others may come to know God. And so it's not an accident where we work, where we play, mm-hmm. where we live. And so a gospel outpost idea, which I don't think is new to me, but I just love the concept is, is the idea of you're in your home, in your neighborhood, on your street for a lot of reasons. One of which is you've got neighbors around you. And could you be a place where the gospel can go forth in, in service and love and proclamation? To your, to your neighbors. And so it actually can be a lot of fun just thinking, how can we um, creatively serve our neighbors, love our neighbors, and talk to them about Jesus and, and create environments where they want to talk about Jesus? Um, so. Well, and if you're a churchgoer, if you've been to church at all, you're going to have some skills of hospitality mm-hmm. that we are shocked when, w- at the beginning of COVID, Ash made a Facebook 
group, a private Facebook group just for our street. And he found out that a couple of families were due to have a baby. So he set up what you're familiar with if you've been in church, a meal train. He said, hey, we'd love to bring meals for you for the first couple of weeks after you have a baby. Who wants to sign up? A bunch of families were like, what is this? We've never heard of this. What do you mean? You're going to cook Love a meal it. and you're going to deliver it? Because it was a gospel opportunity because with one couple, Ash said, hey, this is something we do at our church. Christians love, you know, like it was sort of yeah. like introducing yeah. them. So what we realized is you probably have a lot of gathering and hospitality skills if you've been raised in the church that a lot of people don't have. So we were laughing about that. And so I've made so many meals for neighbors and word spread people on other streets started to beg to be part wow. of our Facebook group because they <laughs> wow. wanted to be on the meal train. It was just so yeah, funny. That's so. And funny. The, and they loved to serve. I mean, they, they yes. wanted... They wanted to do it for wanted, others. Especially in COVID, they wanted to do something to make a difference. And so... Mm. It, it, yeah. Love that. that is fantastic. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So we're going to wrap this up with two questions that we think should particularly resonate with our Alliance listeners. We happen to think that all of our questions resonate with all of our <laughs> listeners, but these of with our Alliance listeners. So we say prayer is the primary work of God's people. So Ash and Heather, what role does prayer play in the scent life? Yeah. Um, so we, in, in the book, we talk about specifically, can you pray for five? Are there five people in your life that mm. don't know Jesus? That just to just to operationalize it a little bit to to help you think about incorporating prayer into your student life, and so that does several things for us. We think first, it, it, it's good inventories. Like, do I know five people? You know, <laughs> and if I don't know five people who don't know Jesus, am I in the right places? You know, or am I spending too much time with just my Christian friends? Like, and so it's actually a good, healthy spiritual inventory. Like, am I around those who don't know Jesus? And if not, why not? And if not. How can I change that? And so just the process brings it up. The second thing is, is as you start to pray for them or begin to think, who will I pray for? It, it Real quickly, it's like, oh, I'm doing this with God. So God, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit who are the five people? Who, who do you want to put on my heart? You know, who should we be trusting you for and going after together? And so it's an opportunity to work with God and Holy Spirit. And as I pray, the third thing is that it grows my heart for my friends. Uh, I can't help but grow my heart for them and love for them and move me towards them. And then final, uh, two more things. It makes me more sensitive uh, to opportunities to love and serve and bless and talk to people yes. about Jesus as I'm praying for them. I see things I don't normally see. And then yes. finally, and perhaps most importantly, prayer works. <laughs> right. We need, <laughs> we need God to move. <laughs> we need, you know, it, you know, we share seven specific ways to pray in, in the book. And we just believe that God the Father loves to move on behalf of his children and especially when we're praying for things that are on his heart too and so we're counting on god to do things we can't do and we express that uh through prayer love it that's beautiful i love that so much i, I that's definitely one of the overlooked things of prayer is that it changes us yes it works and changes other things but it changes us it changes our heart and what we want it's beautiful thank you for bringing that out last but certainly not least sunlight life nobody's ever going to say it's going to always be easy it does require surrender what makes surrender so important to living a scent life i really believe that as you even as a daily practice say to the lord you know my life belongs to you you can do whatever you want 
through me. You know, what are you doing, Lord? And how can I participate? It's just a way of aligning yourself to what God's doing and inviting the Holy Spirit to control and direct your life. So you're not, you know, you're not in charge of the day. You're not in charge of your life, but allowing the Holy Spirit to be in charge of your day and life. So for me, living a sent life means that I've aligned myself to what God is doing in the world. And it means that everything I'm doing everywhere I am, it's about his sent life. And it gets so deep in me that if, if something bad happens, my first question is, like if I'm sent, for example, to the emergency room, which was a true story, I had two emergency surgeries. The scent life became so deep in me that my first question was, this isn't about the kidney stones. Someone here doesn't know you, Lord. Mm. Who here doesn't yet know you? And I got to talk to three different people about Jesus through that one encounter. So now if like the dishwasher breaks, that's not the story. The story is there's a repair person who probably doesn't need to, who probably needs to know Jesus. And uh-huh. I think about God's sovereign choice for the students that are in my class at Penn State, you know, for the neighbors I'm going to see today. And that surrender to the identity that God is seeking and saving the lost. And he's inviting me to that. It's really made life a profound adventure for me. And it brings meaning to the places where I have to endure suffering. So that's what it means for me. But I think Ash might have another perspective. But you feel good? You don't have anything else to say yet? Captured everything I would have said. Well, even, I mean, Ash and I sometimes wonder why as God brought us to Center County, Pennsylvania, it's not often glamorous or exciting. There's not a lot to do. And so we often have to say, but God, you called us here. You called us to these people. And that may help some of you that are not where maybe you're not enjoying where God has you in your life to think about the theology of place and God's sovereign choice for you to be sent uh, right where you are. It really brings a lot of joy and beauty to your life. Yeah. Great perspective. And really uh, that perspective can change how we look at every day and every encounter. So hey, thanks Ashley and Heather, such a great uh, opportunity just to sit and soak in what you're saying and so appreciate the time that you've taken to be with us today trust that god's going to continue to uh, use you guys there in uh, center county pennsylvania happy valley where not everybody yes. is truly happy thanks for being a part of our time with you thank you for having us thank yeah, you for being a part. it's been our pleasure for sure podcast. thank you so much love that interview alan uh, really appreciate yeah, you too. connecting us with these folks. Love love some of their uh, ideas about uh, the home being a, a gospel outpost, and uh, you know the the whole issue of God's sovereignty placing us where we work and live and go to school. Uh, so some really great concepts there. This whole idea of curiosity. Oh yeah, love that. Yeah, what struck you, Alan? I mean, that whole, I think, idea of identity, really seeing ourselves as sent people. Yeah. Uh, and, the, you know, the core principles of, of God always seeking the lost and inviting us to be part of it with him. That's, that's a privilege, not a duty, yeah. you know, to be, get to be part of that. And, of course, you and I resonated with actually getting to get in the game instead of sitting on the bench. Uh, love that. And uh, there's nothing I could imagine more, you know, for my local church that I'm part of would be everybody to feel like they're in the game of seeking and saving the lost. That Can you imagine just a church full of people that that's the way they really feel? Love it. Yeah. So appreciate our listeners uh, joining us here every time. Hope you appreciated this interview and benefited uh, from it. 
Uh, we'll be back next time uh, for season six, episode season seven, rather episode six. And I'd love to tell you who our guest is going to be, but the host Brian Fickert today. Who? Brian Fickert. Yes, Brian Fickert. Remind us of who he is, Alan. Ah, he's the author of uh, "When Helping Hurts," which is a fantastic yeah. book. Uh, on how we can do more damage in some of the help that we try to offer people in difficult situations. Such a good insightful interview. Yeah. So join us then. Meanwhile, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.